Hey there, friends. Pastor Paul Carter here from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Aurelia and the host of the End of the Word podcast, here with a fabulous panel of some of my favorite pastors in all the world for another episode of Pastoring in a Pandemic. Uh, joining me on the panel today, we have Pastor Stephen Bray from St. John's, Newfoundland. We have Pastor Paul Martin from Toronto, Ontario. We have Pastor Clint Humphrey from Calgary, Alberta, or just outside, and then Pastor Rob Goddard from just outside Vancouver, British Columbia. So thank you, brothers, for being with me today. I so appreciate you and, and so grateful for you being with us. It's great, great, to, be here, great to be with you, brother. Well, we started this concept back in June of 2020. And when we started it, we started it because it felt like this pandemic was going long. It was longer than anybody anticipated. And we felt like it'd just be a great opportunity to, to collaborate and to talk and to connect maybe with some pastors who were uh, missing some of that fellowship and collaboration. I remember when this first started, when the news first came uh, that, that we were going into some kind of lockdown related to this pandemic thing. I remember thinking this will be three weeks tops. Right. I lived through SARS and, you know, I remember hearing about that and I thought, okay, whatever, we'll get on top of this and we'll get back to normal. Here we are more than 12 months later and we're still doing this. And uh, reading the news today, it doesn't look like it's, it's necessarily getting all that much better out there. looks like things might get a little worse before they get better. Um, so this has been a long haul and we're talking about different things now at the end of this process. Uh, than, than we were at the start of this process. So we're going to get to some of that. But I just thought it would be, it would be helpful for guys to get a little perspective uh, and hear what's going on in your health region as we kind of move across the country. So Stephen, why don't we, we'll kind of go east to west. Give us a, you know, two minutes on how you're doing, what's going on in your health unit, what's the status of this pandemic in Newfoundland? Yeah, so as I record this with you guys, we are at what's called for us in our province, level two, which just happened last week. We had a little outbreak. One of the variants had made its way down here. There was a small explosion. And I say that not to be anything else, but a comparison to all, a lot of the other parts of Canada, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, and the three territories, we've been the ones kind of with the least amount of COVID. But we had within a week, I think six, 700 cases uh, all in the St. John's area. So we were thrown into what they call the circuit breaker back in February. Um, East through that actually jumped the level but they have been much more cautious. Even though we're at level two, we're only allowed to gather with a maximum of 50. So our Easter is gonna be very different. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, um, but our restaurants are open at 50% capacity, stuff like that. Um, there's been some ongoing negotiations. I think there is a lot of COVID fatigue, not only within the church, but definitely with outside the church. And uh, so I think that's starting to show itself with Newfoundlanders. We had probably the most motley media talked about election took 10 weeks to actually get a result um, had the lowest voter turnout in the history of the province at only 48 percent and a very very slim majority it takes 21 seats to have a majority and the liberals got 22 but two of our elected leaders uh, of the parties the pc party and the ndp both lost their seats so there's a lot of controversy about that and whether or not it's going to go to court and all those types of things but um, yeah, it's just been one of those things. I think this last lockdown, uh, personally, was harder on me than the first lockdown because um, we had enjoyed a relatively COVID-free life and world outside of some masks and some other things here in Newfoundland. So I definitely found the last six weeks, probably with the combination of another winter and all those things, uh, difficult. But God has been gracious. The church is doing well. And um, mile one mission that we're doing as well. In the midst of this, we're planting a second church through this pan pandemic. So we're pretty excited about that. Right on. 
I'll go next. I think I'm next in the east to west uh, movement there. Uh, for us, we're in Ontario. Uh, we, we're in the red zone right now, which for us means uh, we can operate church-wise at 30% capacity. Uh, restaurants are open under certain restrictions. So last Sunday, we did three services, two different locations, each at 30% building capacity. By means of that, we're able to serve about 85, 90% of our people. And uh, those that, that are not re-engaging are, are generally not re-engaging because of underlying health conditions. And uh, they're continuing to get engage online. Uh, so we feel pretty good about that. Um, because the restaurants are, are open now, we can get out to Tim Hortons and, and uh, you know, sit and talk to somebody. Uh, so that's good. So pastoring right now in the red zone feels, I would say, a little harder, but it, it, it's still relatively normal. In the gray zone is where things get really tough. Um, but right now we're just, you know, we keep our groups small. Um, but we're, we're able to do things. I, I would say it, it takes a little more effort for us, but if, it's, if that's something we can do to keep our, our neighbors safe and uh, to maintain our witness, you know, we're, we're happy to do that. Uh, also, one, one thing that, that just happened in Ontario uh, about 10 days ago, we, faith leaders were contacted, or I, I was contacted by our local health unit, asking us to spread the word that they want faith leaders, pastors to get vaccinated. Um, I actually wrote back to our health unit guy and said, I'm 47 years old. I'm, I'm happy to wait if that would be helpful. And he wrote back saying, no, uh, we need you to get out. We need you to get the word out. We need you get, to get in here. I don't, I don't know whether they're having a hard time getting vaccines into arms or what the issue is, but out of nowhere, they were very eager for us to, to get vaccinated. So uh, that's, that's something new. I'll pass it over to Paul. Did you get your vaccine, Paul? I have an appointment. I haven't got it yet. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, so down in Toronto, we're in a different color in Ontario. Uh, Paul's in the red, we're in the gray. Uh, that means, well, up until uh, yesterday, that meant uh, 10% um, uh, or 10 people rather uh, as a gathering restriction. Uh, they just changed that to 15%. Um, uh, yesterday, the, the, the change was made for outdoor services that there's no hard cap on the number of people just as long as you remain physically distant. So we're exploring outdoor possibilities. Still a little chilly here right now, but uh, we'd put up with some chill if we could get everybody together. When you're in a city like Toronto, it's just hard to find a place big enough. Um, the public spaces are, n are not accessible. So you, there's very few people that own like an acre who want us to live on their backyard. So uh, we continue to move. Um, we're, we're using another building. We can we can get 70, seven zero people in our building at that 15% cap. So we go uh, to another building that's much larger. We can get about 220 people there under their uh, jurisdiction. So we go there. That uh, means we've moved our service into the evening rather than the morning because their church is meeting in the morning. We're happy to do that. It's a bit more of a drive for our folks, but we're all glad to be together. Um, I think we're seeing you know, positive things as far as coming back together. Uh, it's still a little hard. We found both times that we came out of lockdown, it's really difficult to sort of find out where everybody is not everybody gets the information there's some of that so just again that shepherding as closely as we can helping people to know where we are what we're doing um i think you asked paul just like how we're doing personally too is that part of yep, that question and yeah uh, i think i would say as a pastor um i'm just super grateful so i, I look around at you know um I, I feel like in in our jurisdiction we're being heard even if the leaders are not always doing what I want them to do. Uh, they're at least listening and acknowledging our presence. And I'm grateful for that when I think about the world. Uh, so I'm thankful for where we live. I'm thankful for um, 
you know, a church that's worked hard towards a, a commitment-based um, membership rather than a convenience-based membership. And so we've been able to call our people to that covenant that we made with one another. And, um, you know, to varying degrees, we're, we're all seeking to do that. And then just as a, just as a human being, um, I took a week off and read three Tom Clancy novels, and that was one of the best things uh, I've done. Um, if, if for no other reason, I just needed to turn off my brain for a while. I, I don't know how you guys find it, but there's, you know, on top of just preaching sermons, meeting with people, doing our counseling, figuring out how to do it in spaces that are restricted, is just all this other stuff of trying to keep up with regulations and, and the rest. So uh, I heartily recommend A Week Off with Tom Clancy. For, for those of us who don't read, Paul, can you give us the titles of the movies so that we can watch the movies? Instead <laughs> of the well, just look action movies of the 90s and you'll find them all. <laughs> Clint, that was for you and me, just for the record. Oh, I'm trying to cover you. Clint, I think you're next on the, uh, the, the east to west road trip here. Yeah, so... Uh, Unlike Ontario, we have just this, this single uh, health authority here in Alberta. There's no different regions. So there's just the one from the government. And we're at 15% uh, of fire code capacity for our gathering limits. And so our church has been able to do two services in person uh, with still a few people online. But for the most part, uh, everybody is coming coming out to the services. Uh, it's not our preference. Uh, we much rather be together all as one, but it, we've been able to adapt. And the result has been uh, people being able to see each other and uh, to, you know, spur one another on, encourage one another. And we've been able to sing, um, even though it's not recommended, it's not, it's not prohibited. Uh, and we're using masks and social distancing. So we've been able to carry on with, um, with the bulk of our ministry. And, and uh, so that's been really encouraging that way. Um, there's obviously controversy in Alberta with different churches choosing different things. But on the whole, though, I think uh, I, I've certainly seen with our church, our, they have grown in loving across differences in our church. Uh, as I was just saying to Paul Carter earlier, uh, we, I think we really have a unity without a unanimity. Uh, it, you know, there's a, there's a unity there, even as people have different different views on what's the government doing, different views on the level of threat of COVID, uh, different views on these things. But we've worked really hard from the elders level on down to, to be able to love one another and really hear each other out, try to understand each other. And also just to appreciate that, yeah, we can see things a little bit differently and still keep the priority of the gospel at the center. So I've been very encouraged by that. Um, I mean, we're, we're hoping that things will open up. Uh, I think our, the cases maybe came up, has, have come up recently. Uh, hospitalizations, though, I think are still relatively small. Uh, you know, we're, we're under 300 hospitalizations in a province of 4.4 million. Uh, so so it kind of, I, I think that pretty soon it should be more open and, and they're trying to get vaccines. I think Alberta's having trouble like all the provinces, just getting the vaccines going. Um, and I think for myself, uh, the Lord's provided for me to persevere through it. What, what Martin said about just the, the mental toll, I found that I've had to really kind of learn a different pace so that I take rest as I can, because there's so much, there's so much, so much new information that you have to process, new pastoral issues that you have to process that aren't planned, that, that aren't in your regular schedule, 
you need to kind of keep a little bit of gas in the tank to prepare for you. So that's, that's something I've had to learn. And I was getting some headaches before Christmas. Uh, you know, I just had to kind of readjust my scheduling and pace. But, but as a result, I think it's gone really well. We're looking forward to Good Friday and Easter with our people. And uh, as the weather warms up, uh, you know, hoping to be able to see each other outside a little bit more freely. I think the cap is 10 people outside you can have at your place. But um, yeah, so we're, we're just hoping to enjoy that a little bit better as, as time goes forward. So that'd be kind of the scene, I think, in Alberta. Right. Rob, you are our farthest west. You want to give us a bit of an update? Yeah, so I, it seems like it's changing daily. In fact, quite often we try to update our congregation every Tuesday and, and uh, now we're trying to wait off until Thursday just because things change. So last week uh, she had come out, our PHO had come out with some very tight restrictions and, and she had just opened it up. Our PHO, Bonnie Henry, had just opened it up actually last week on Thursday. She had said, go ahead and meet. You can have four meetings. Uh, unfortunately, that has changed again. So as of yesterday, uh, we shut down all our restaurants. You're not allowed to go to anybody else's homes and churches. The, the gift she gave us for our Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday celebration, she took away. So it, it's been very difficult here uh, for us as pastors and for us as churches to try to understand uh, the rules she has. She has uh, different reasons for them, I am sure, but, but we're not always aware of them. So uh, she's been gracious to interact with us as churches, but, but I think there's a lot of tension in British Columbia. I don't know if you're, you're following it all. Uh, certainly in our churches, not a lot of churches are disobeying, probably seven or eight, uh, maximum three publicly. They're fighting it in, in the courts. They lost recently. Uh, they're just deciding if they should appeal or not. So the vast majority are obeying, but I think all of us are feeling the tension uh, for our church personally. There's a unity. I would say probably 80% would agree and support the leadership. We have some that are very, very protective and some that are very anti uh, I call them flat earthers. That's probably not fair, but they join that group. Uh, there's nobody sick in the pandemic. And, and now, unfortunately, we have had some people in the church lose loved ones from COVID, some others that are sick, uh, very sick from it. So uh, as soon as it gets personal, the emotional temperature rises. So if, if you're told your brother died from COVID and then someone says, well, COVID's not real and the PHO is evil, it tends to ignite emotional response. So a lot of really strong emotions so far we're surviving, but again, uh, unfortunately, not much we can do about it. We're trying to be creative. Uh, we believe it's best to follow God, to be protective, uh, to obey the government at this point, or our PHO, I suppose people are trying to differentiate. So uh, we're doing that. We have fairly strong unity, but it is very difficult. Uh, and personally, I, I think similar to you guys, it's probably been the hardest ministry time of my life. There, there's so much pressure uh, so much confusion, so little we know. We're, I think we're being asked to be experts on medical science. We're asked to disagree with the internet, which is all over the map. And then we have, or I have anyway, people that are on all sides of this issue. And you're trying to minister to them. You're trying to refocus them on the gospel and Jesus and the sovereignty of God. And for many of them, it's just very, very difficult. They're, they're struggling daily to try to survive. Some have lost their jobs. Some have lost uh, all sorts of other interactions. And then you have society shut down. So I think especially for our lonely people, uh, the conspiracies become much more real because they have no one to bounce them off of. So, you know, you have a lot of single people, widows, widowers, they, they interact with themselves, at least for a little while, very few others. And then whoever their little friend group is tends to maximize how they feel. 
Uh, we've also had a fairly strong response to what's going on in Alberta. So Clint, I, it's been a little surprising for me, but a lot of pressure on me to respond strongly in support of some of the things going on there, which has been difficult uh, because I, I don't personally. So I think in BC, it's been very, very difficult for churches. For the most part, we're unified, but there's a lot of fracturing going on. Now I'm just talking about pastors, so ministerials I belong to. Uh, there's starting to be um, a lot of pressure, I think, on us to at least have what all of you seem to have, which is some sort of ability to meet. We can meet, so they've given us permission to meet outside as churches, but it's 10 people and you're not allowed to talk. And you can have cars, uh, up to 50 cars they gave us allowance for. They just withdrew it. But even that, you have to stay in your car and you can't move. So uh, BC, we're, we're pretty locked down. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to turn the corner uh, a little bit and go back to something that you were talking about, Rob. Um, one, of, one of the issues that has been, it's become a pastoral issue everywhere across the country, you know, thanks in large part to, to media, social media, and some bizarre weighing in on this, I would say, uh, from the States. Um, somebody, I think, used the language of, it's, it's like they're trying to turn, turn things into a proxy war up here. It's, it's bizarre how contentious this whole issue has become uh, with Pastor James Coates. And uh, so I'd just love to give some guidance. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And particularly, Clint, you're right in the neighborhood. And, and uh, so I thought it, it would be helpful for us to get your perspective on uh, the, the arrest, the imprisonment, and, and subsequent release. Tell us, give us a bit of an up, uh, update in case folks aren't aware. I don't know how they could not be aware, but there might be some folks who are, aren't aware. Give us a bit of an update from your bird's eye perspective. Yeah, I'll, I'll make an attempt. And uh, it's always challenging to, to be able to kind of articulate somebody else's decisions and, and what's all gone on, but I'll kind of try to, try to represent fairly. Um, basically, you know, James Coates, he, he's a faithful brother. He's well-trained expository preacher um, who I've known and who has participated in our, on our pastor's paternals for a while now. James wrestled with, uh, as many of us have, as, as, the, as the lockdowns continued from the spring into the summer, he, he wrestled with uh, just the, the relative threat of, of the pandemic and assessing that, and then the justification on the government's part of their justification for uh, what they were doing. And in wrestling to that, I know he, we corresponded and uh, he was thinking through that and, and he, himself along with different pastors, uh, not only in Alberta, but at around the world have then made an assessment that, you know, their governments have not made that justification. And so chose the path of, of gonna, gonna have their, their churches not comply with public health orders. Now, that, part of that is then James, his own uh, conviction about, about the nature of the church gathering and gathering in their building and in a certain way. And, and so in view of that, then he, he subsequently had uh, different engagements with uh, in Alberta, it's called the Alberta Health Services and their inspectors. And I think then there was subsequent fines, ticketing, uh, that sort of thing. And eventually, um, this is what really troubled me was that then the Alberta Health Services then, then brought in the RCMP and then from moving it to the RCMP, then it, it just escalated. It kept escalating from from mere ticketing to, to then uh, these kind of threats of bigger fines. And then ultimately then putting it to the RCMP and then to the courts uh, and then having 
then James Coates arrested. Um, and, and so, and then the thought then once that James was arrested and put into, he was put in the Edmonton Remand Center, which is not a nice place to be. And um, James and his own convictions were such that the, the only way that he could accept the, the bail conditions in his, own, in, in his understanding would be then he'd have to comply with the health orders, but in to do that, it wouldn't then permit him to be able to pastor in the way that he had intended to do. And in fact, if I'm correct, I think they actually didn't want him actually in the building. Uh, and so then he was not, he wouldn't be able to actually go and, and preach or minister to people in, at the church. And so in that sense, then he would have been prohibited from carrying out the functions of, of his ministry. So he was in remand, he got out uh, last week. Uh, he, you know, I think I can share that James sent a gracious email to me um, when he got out. He was just appreciative of the fact that I had written a letter that many of you saw advocating to Premier Kenny <clears throat> to that, that this, this, this was out of proportion. This was all out of proportion. And I still contend that. Um, James is very gracious in, it, in what he wrote to me, no, recognizing that him and I have taken different perspectives on this. Uh, our church has been complying, but at the same time, I'm very concerned with the government and the way that then there is this disproportional response towards non-compliance to health orders. And, uh, and so in view of that, I still contend that's an issue. Um, now I know they, they met again and uh, James was there on Sunday, I understand. And uh, he didn't preach, but I think they said he led the Lord's Supper and uh, was there. And, and still then RCMP and AHS were trying to come in the building and I don't know all, what all happened there. Um, but still this continues to be an issue. James has a trial date in May. So it's, it's an issue that's in dispute. And, and then that, that's where then now this is going to be hashed out is in the courts. And then the government will have to justify all of its rationale. The, the challenge of it all, of course, is that when you have people surrounding these things, whether well-meaning Christians or non-Christians or the media or even my own perceptions from a distance in a different city, you know, it's, it's just a lot of the details and, and even the truth can get lost in it all. So I just heard James uh, on an interview uh, just expressing what had gone down on Sunday. And uh, I appreciated his tone as far as him really desiring uh, that the RCMP officers would come to know Jesus Christ and, and be saved. And, and so that's what it, it seems James's priority is. And, and that comes as no surprise to me. Uh, I think then as a result, it's important then for anybody in, as pastors or other churches to weigh these things out and, and keep the gospel as the key priority. And then recognize that we can all have differences of view on, on what's going on and, what, and compliance or non-compliance and people are going to have their rationales. But we have to keep the, the relative scale of things in its proper order and kind of keep the gospel at the center. And if we can do that, then when we come out the other side of all this COVID business, well, then I think then our churches are going to be stronger. We're going to have love even across our differences. But if we, if we choose to kind of not do the hard work of listening and loving 
and, and, and supporting each other as brothers and sisters, even when we kind of disagree and have different approaches, well, then I think then, then we're setting ourselves up for a lot of trouble, even after all of this is over. So that's my little summary. I mean, there's lots to say about it all, but uh, I just, we pray for James and his church uh, pretty much at every praying opportunity that we've had. Uh, at the same time, uh, we've taken a different approach. And uh, we're actually, I would say I'm very thankful in one sense for uh, the Alberta government and by and large its approach compared to many other jurisdictions. At the same time, I'm also very concerned with what, our government and other governments are doing. And I think we need to be very, very attentive to what's happening because then there's gonna be issues that might be even clearer where the government is overstepping that we wanna be on top of. Particularly when we think of things like Bill C-6, uh, that would essentially, you know, I think it's gonna criminalize then us giving uh, counsel regarding sexual identity matters. And so we, we, we wanna be kind of aware of these things even now. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of the Alberta scene and uh, we're just continuing to love each other across differences. And that's my hope is that we'll kind of come out of this with uh, weathering some of this trouble and, and it not be quite so divisive as maybe some of the internet would have us kind of play, play, play it out as being divisive like that. That's good. Yeah, it, it has, as, as Rob indicated, it, it strangely has become a, a divisive issue in, in provinces all across Canada. Uh, when, when this, first started happening and the news started coming out, I, I just made the decision to, to kind of adopt a minimalist approach. Um, we, we prayed for Pastor Coates and his family. We did that as, as individuals. We, we prayed as a church. But we didn't get involved and start sort of rehashing and, and, and rehearsing and promoting what we perceived to be, you know, the, the hub of the situation, the, the, the nub of the issue. I actually had a friend uh, from the neighborhood who, who pastors just down the road from that church just send me an email saying, don't, don't wait in on, the, in on this. I'd appreciate it if you didn't. It's a very contentious issue in Alberta. It's more complicated than you're hearing about in the media. And so I was just kind of cautioned by that. I just thought, you know what? I don't, I don't need to give my opinion on this. I'm 3,500 kilometers away from that situation. Um, I have a hard time figuring out what happens when, when something down the street happens in, in my town. So I just thought, hey, I'll, I'll pray for this brother. I'll, I'll pray for this church, uh, but I'm not going to get much more involved in that. And by and large, our people have really respected that. I haven't had anybody, you know, I've had people send me an email, hey, do you know what's going on? And are, are we going to do something? And we circulated that petition that you sent around. Um, but I've, I've had lots of pastors contact me saying, this is an issue of contention in our church. I had a brother about a month ago call me and, and tell me that guys are leaving his church over this. Uh, that, that they don't, they feel like this should be something he should be hammering from the pulpit. This is, this is something the board should be involved in. And, uh, and I guess that just raises the, the, the issue that we're all fighting with here. How involved should we be in this stuff? Like, how, how involved are you, are you as a pastor in Alberta expecting pastors in Ontario and Newfoundland and BC to, to be in, in your struggles with the Alberta Health, Health Unit? How, how involved should pastors be in this kind of political stuff? That's, I'd throw it out to the panel, but Clint, you, you know, you, I'd love to hear your perspective first briefly just two things I, I just i just think pastors pastors as citizens we can we can advocate to the government and and advocate to other governments and so we have a voice to advocate and i think that's and that's what i did in advocating to jason kenney and alberta health services 
but then but then the second thing is then i think is is to prioritize is just is love for brothers and sisters even when we don't know what's all going on i don't know what's going on in all of your churches i don't know all the details but i can love all of you you as brothers and sisters and so there's you know it's we're all kin we're all family and so that sense of that kind of solidarity i think should dominate and and maybe if we don't understand all the details and we maybe we don't agree like most families don't agree with everything but we can still love love in terms of that kind of a broader christian family and i think if we prioritize those two things then even the differences of approach that anybody might have uh, they'll kind of sort themselves out that's good it's good word anyone else want to want to jump in on that I just think it's interesting. I don't want it to be overlooked that, you know, what Clint was describing there um, is the fruit of the investment of a pastoral fraternity of, of having built relationships so that when this crisis comes, that's going to test those relationships, you're known and, uh, and you know, and so that gives him an ability to, you know, um, respond appropriately. I think so much of the of what you know the hot takes are people that know nothing about the situation and don't know the people and they're just you know blasting out their tweets about whatever the subject is um oftentimes if if uh, you know solomon was right the one who speaks first always seems right until the second comes along uh we all know that in many situations there's a lot to the story um and and this is a time when in Canada, we have not really been tested like this in my ministry time um, to live out that Romans 14 and 15 principle of loving brothers with whom we disagree. Uh, the culture doesn't let us do that. We're supposed to cancel people we disagree with, whether you're on the left or the right. It's really remarkable. Uh, so to be a Christian right now and to say, yeah, I kind of disagree with you know what Clint's doing. If I was in Alberta, I would do it this way man, I love Clint and uh, that ain't going to change one iota and I'm going to pray for him and I'm going to pray for his church. That would be the result of that relational kind of investment. And then I think what you indicated, uh, Carter, when you said, you know, I don't really know, like, I, why, why would I speak to something I know very little about? I don't know all the facts. I don't know all the negotiations between authorities and that particular church. I don't know where people have erred. It, it's not for me to speak, you know, specifically into a situation other than to represent what my Bible says, which is I can love brothers with whom I disagree. Uh, I can pray for them. And if there's ever been a time to grow in our prayers, is it not now? <laughs> so what a wonderful time to just take it to the Lord and, and, and admit to God that we don't know what the right things are in all these situations, but he, he's no less sovereign nor powerful just because of COVID and public health units. Uh, so I think there's lots that we can do. And if we're leading well, we're going to take our people there with us. Yeah, I, I really liked what you just, both of you have said. I, I think for us, our biggest struggle is not what this pastor did or the province's response. It was other pastors, especially American pastors, sounding off. And, and I was dealing with John MacArthur's letters and their board and, and all of these other things from people that really didn't know, who are now perpetuating things that, as I did my minor research here, just simply weren't true. And so I had people in our congregation super upset with us because we weren't standing with someone who was being put in jail because he just wanted to preach. And, and so you're in this really difficult situation where you're trying to respond to the truth. You're trying to, be, I love, Carter, I would agree with you. I think let's, let, when we don't know, 
let's let's focus on things we do know in the gospel. And then you're trying to respond in a situation that is so muddy by other pastors that don't know. And so I think my caution would be, I think, to affirm what you guys are saying. When you enter into discussions like this that are a long ways away from you, be very, very humble and very, very careful and very, very focused on unity, the gospel, and and in terms of your own humility and your own responses. I don't know that any of us, when this is all said and done, are going to look back and say, boy, was I ever great. I think we're all struggling through this. And I think we need to pray for one another, love one another, support one another, do our very best to align everything we do and say with God's word. And when we're evaluating others that are seeking to do the same, do it very carefully. So I wish in terms of our conflict over this, our greatest conflict has not been what he has done, uh, which, which again, I certainly have my opinions on, but it's been on how others, especially American others, have used it for their own uh, political gains, or I, I guess I don't want to evaluate their motives, but have, have sounded off on it in a way that I wouldn't affirm that I don't think aligns with the truth. So you have people super emotional on, on a reality that isn't true, and it's being perpetuated by those who aren't close enough to the situation to understand it. So it's been, been very difficult. And I just affirm as pastors, I think let's focus on the things that matter. Let's stay unified and in, in love with what we're called to do and accomplish, and then be gracious with one another and humble in our interactions. Yeah, that's good. I, just to maybe zoom out from the, this particular situation and, and into some general counsel, I had a younger pastor come to me just a little while ago, and uh, he was quite discouraged. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, I just feel completely inadequate for all these things that my people expect me to be addressing. He said, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't really understand epidemiology. You know, he said, I didn't take any science courses in my my Bible school undergrad. Um, and, and, and I'm also, I'm not a political scientist. I, I don't understand. I'm not really sure I know how a bill becomes a law and, and I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in medical assisted dying, but my people expect me to be a spokesperson for all of these issues. And I'm getting a lot of pressure. He said to, to, to be politically active, to, to be a medical ethicist. And he says, I, I, I thought I was going into ministry to pray, preach and visit. But, but now I've got all these other things hung on me. And, and so I, I guess the, the question I throw out to the panel is, is our brother wrong? Was he naive? You know, should he go grab some courses in epidemiology and political science? Or, or is he right? And do we maybe have a bit of a, a teaching task to do with our people in terms of what pastoral ministry is and, and, and what, what we should expect of our pastors? I'll throw that out to the panel generally. Well, I don't know if I'm just the cranky Newfoundlander out east, but- Oh, probably. Uh, uh, let me just let me just say because I, I love everything what you guys have said. Um, I think though, as pastors, the very fact that we're doing this and this is going to be publicized both in audio and video, we have to also then own as pastors and everybody take that little bit of responsibility. So I think we need to lead by example that if we're going to get out on these social media platforms like this and we're going to put our services out and we've all done that and then we're going to take stands. You guys have all talked about the fact that, you know, when you get intimacy and relationship, benefit of the doubt, you guys give each other, you know, grace. And what we have seen is both from America and then as this has traveled back and forth across the country, it's affected churches, pastors, all these things. So I would just caution as pastors, if you're going to do things that you need to realize that what you do is no longer just you and the four walls of your church anymore, if you're going to have a social media presence and you need to understand that and be aware of it. And so often the disciples are worse than the master. Um, and so in this case, you know, I, I've been privy 
to seeing some of the stuff that's been said to other pastors, some of these things that have been said, as you guys have all alluded to, that a whole world is watching. And so it never becomes about the issue anymore. It just comes as a bunch of so-called professing Christians yelling and screaming and posturing at each other and, and putting all these social media tests of allegiance and all these things. And I do, although we're all tired, we all, have, I think, suffer from COVID fatigue, I would implore young and old pastors alike, if you're going to sign up for the social media trip, see it all the way through. And, you know, be, all, be willing to get out there and inform people of where you're at and not letting people just ride away. Um, I think that's important for us to be aware of that because obviously there's the intimacy of what's happening with our brother in Alberta and Clint, you're right there on the front lines. I've never met him, but I do struggle. And, I, you know, when I hear Rob's pain and I know all of you guys, and even though I'm in a province where there's very little evangelical Christianity, um, we have chosen to go about this a certain way and experience God's blessing. But when I do see people getting in front of cameras or on tweets or on Facebook, telling you you are not worthy of the name Christian or pastor unless you do X, Y, Z, I, I think there's something profoundly wrong with that. And if we're going to get out on things like that, so I just wanted to say that for the pastors that are watching, like guys, this is why, as Paul, you mentioned in Solomon, that we have to be careful about what we say, and we have to count the cost. You know, everybody loved this idea of, you know, we'll all beam out our services online, we'll all do our devotionals and our podcasts, and we'll all do these things. But guess what? When you do that, it's out there. Satan can use it. The world can use it. Other Christians can use it. And so, you know, I know, at least for me, with my own social media presence, I have to be aware of what I'm saying, where I'm saying it, how it's being interpreted, who are the people I'm responsible for, and what are they saying, and am I quick to also calm people down, caution people, remind them of what we're living for and why we're living for it. Um, so I think that it's just, you know, whether, you know, in response all the way back, Paul, to your original question of this young pastor, I would say, if you want to pastor a flock, stay off social media, <laughs> and pastor your flock um, and, and yet be aware that your flock is on social media. Uh, I, I mean, for me personally here in St. John's in Newfoundland, a smaller church than, than the rest of you guys, I feel because I've done some of the hard work to stay in front of this, I've been able to talk about this in very controlled ways with my congregation and walk with them so that it has let me at least be a little bit out in front of them. So no one has ever kind of brought something to me and I was caught off of left guard and I've been able to very quickly deal with it. Um, so I just caution pastors, especially who are listening to this. Guys, it's take your stands, have your opinions, have your convictions, God bless you. I might not always agree. I might not even always understand, but be aware when you do in this social media world, you don't live your life in a vacuum. And be as quick to, when you're calling for the support of the greater church, be willing to also make it easier for us to support each other. And so posturing lines in the sand on a public forum, I just think is tragic. And dare I say, sometimes even sinful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I can tell you what I, what I caution him. I, I, the reality is the gospel has social and political implications. So there's no there's no version of pastoral ministry that doesn't involve giving giving people some counsel that can be categorized as social or political but our expertise is ultimately in the scriptures so i said stand on the scriptures and reach out to those things 
with humility and caution, um, give, give guidance. And, and basically, the further you have to get from a, a clear verse of scripture, the more humble and cautious your, your counsel should be. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I said. I fully agree with that. I, I think too often we think we're experts because people demanded of us and we're not. So, and, and the internet is full of experts like us that aren't experts giving their strong opinions. Don't join them, stay focused on, I think one of the greatest dangers of this pandemic is the distraction it's been to the church and the pastors. And we need to reaffirm that our focus needs to be on Christ and the gospel and, and his word. I think you both have stated it very, very well. And I think as pastors, one of our great things is to get back to that focus and get our people back to that focus. There are incredible gospel opportunities if we don't lose them in our confusion in whether the COVID is real or not, or whether people are sick or not, or whether the governments are good or not. The other thing I think we got to remind ourselves of is Canada is a very strange place in history in terms of how well they have treated the church. So we can look around at brothers and sisters across the world and, and see how they treat Christians. We can read our Bibles. We can study the early church. And so we're, we're getting all angry because in BC, you know, we're not allowed to meet. Well, that's not a rare thing in church history. And it's not a rare thing in the world. And there are reasons here that are beyond our, our understanding if we're not uh, doctors in those areas. So yeah, I, I think exactly what you guys have said. And as pastors, I think one of our roles is to disciple our people through this, to help them follow us as we follow Christ. And above all, love one another deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. So we have that first love devotion to Christ, a deep love for one another, and then a deep desire to get the gospel out so that people can find forgiveness and hope in Christ. And if we can keep our focus there, and when the distractions come, speak to them extremely humbly or not at all, and get people's focus back where it needs to be. Those in, in the congregation God has entrusted to me here and to our elders here, that are struggling with the distractions, their logic is really poor. They're confused, but I can't go in and fix their logic. They, they talk to one another and it's kind of rebounding back and forth and they're angry. What I can do is speak to them about Jesus and his love and the focus they can have. And I think that's where we should focus our time. So to young pastors, I agree with you, Paul. I think we need to be aware that these things are there. The gospel impacts everything, all of life. It's a relationship with Jesus that drives and defines us. But the focus of that relationship, the focus of Jesus, the focus of Paul is not political or scientific. I mean, even if you introduce Luke, it's not political or scientific. It's the gospel, the greatness of God and how we serve and delight in him. So I, I think if we can keep our focus there and keep our people's focus there, we're way ahead. Yeah. Hey, Paul, can I jump in? Because I just want to I want to read three scriptures quickly uh, for that young pastor, because I love young pastors. I was a young pastor. I'm not anymore, that was a long uh, but time I'm ago. grateful. That was a very long time ago, but I'm grateful. Let me just tell you scriptures that have encouraged me and I know have encouraged these guys. First Peter 5, 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. If, uh, if you can't do that well on social media, then get off social media. Uh, <laughs> How about one, two more? Um, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Uh, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, it's a pretty lofty introduction, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. If this is an out of season, well, keep preaching the word. If you can't preach the word well, because you're trying to keep up with all that other stuff, you're not serving your people. That's right. Finally, 
how you are going to speak about those with whom you disagree. James chapter 3, verse 7, every kind of beast, of bird, of reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, even pastor's tongues. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. These things ought not be, my brothers. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Shouldn't be. So preach the word, shepherd your people, and speak well of those whom God has made after his image and likeness. Amen. Amen. Just for sake of time, uh, I'm going to go right to our last last thing here. And and Rob, you mentioned uh, you know hearing from from pastors in other places as a bit of perspective, right? We 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 can have a very myopic uh, perspective on things. We're going to splice in at the very end, just before Paul prays. So we're not going to hear it, but those who are listening will hear it. Uh, a, a brief interview that I did with a pastor friend of mine in South Africa, because I was just curious, what's what's it like to pastor in a pandemic in a developing country? And uh, it's really interesting, the things that he has to say. So thanks for bringing that perspective. But just as we end here, uh, in, in, in a few weeks or a few months, however long, I don't, I don't know, but this is going to come to an end. Um, you know, this is not a, a forever event. Um, and it is, it is going to come to an end. Vaccines are happening, all these kinds of things. And so in the next stage of our pastoring experience, we're going to have this task of, of regathering uh, our, our flocks, and also rebuilding some bridges, right? Because we, as we've talked about, there's been a lot of hostility. There's been a lot of division. And, uh, and so we're going to have to regather, and we're going to have to heal some wounds uh, inside our churches, but then also in, uh, in terms of our relationships to other churches. So I'd just like to hear from each of you in terms of how you're anticipating that, uh, what kind of damage you're anticipating. You know, there's a sense in which we're all still in the basement, hunkering down as the storm blows over. What are you expecting to see when you come outside? The Barna Group has started talking in the States about uh, the, a 30% attrition rate. Uh, I assume that's across all lines, meaning mainline and evangelical. I, I don't imagine it'll be the same in every one of those groups. What are you anticipating in your local context based on your assessment of engagement levels and the amount of turbulence your congregation has gone through? Let's, let's do this one west to east. Rob, we'll start with you. Uh, so yeah, in British Columbia, I, I, I think all of us have to admit and be humble in our response to this. We, we don't know what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of hurting people. And I think uh, in, a, in many ways we've re reset. We're trying to keep our finger on the pulse of the congregation God's entrusted to our care. But even that's very, very difficult. So we're trying to call once a month. We're trying to have visits where possible. Uh, there's been attrition naturally by people moving and people dying. I, I think we're into uncharted territory, so I think we need to simplify. I think it's an opportunity for us to go back to what really matters, to reset our programs, to reset everything around the priorities that Christ has given us. And so I think we need to go back to Matthew 28, and we need to go back to Acts 1 and, and follow through in Acts. Acts 2 obviously has some good parameters, but to say, okay, what, what matters to God? How do we reset as a congregation and do those things well? and then allow the other things to kind of fill in as we go. So I, I think for us, the way we're going to find unity, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, uh, throwing off those things, if you keep going in that passage, the, the things that are sinful, but also the things that are good, but not necessarily the best. So I think if we can keep our eyes focused on Jesus, if we can rejoice in the greatness and richness of the gospel and all that it means, 
And if we can allow that to unify us, then I think we win coming out of this and maybe even can become much more missional in Canada. Canada's a mission field where at least in British Columbia, we found that for us, we have a lot of converts, but our converts are mostly first generation Canadians. And if we can expand that and all of a sudden say, okay, what does it mean to live your life as an authentic follower of Jesus, where it's driven and defined by him, where you're living on mission, you're his ambassador, you're, you're asking those hard questions. I, I think if we can reset and actually become more alive in terms of how God defines a church, this can be a very good thing for us. So I, I think there will be attrition. I think it'd be very hard for pastors. I think uh, we're talking now as elders, what, what's it going to impact in terms of our numbers? I think our numbers are going to drop substantially. And if, if I value my, my role as a pastor by the number of people in our congregation and it drops 30%, which I think will be a little less than that, that's going to be a hit on my pride. So I think we got to remind ourselves too, that we exist not to build numbers, but we exist to build people. And if we can get our people released on mission in the world, that's probably a lot better than we were pre-pandemic. And so I think there's a lot that we can simplify, refocus on, and, and hopefully unify around those things and model that and, and become much healthier as churches. I don't think the church in Canada was very healthy when we went into this thing. So maybe this is a chance for us to get back right with God and right with each other and then on the world and mission for him. So don't you want to give us two minutes on that? Yeah. So I agree with Rob. That vision is great. I think uh, for us, we're seeing that, that we've been growing in terms of new people coming and uh, you know, membership classes, baptism classes are full. Uh, we're, we're very excited about the prospects for the future. I think uh, coming out of all of this as, as restrictions loosen, I think we will have to really work hard at our relationships at forgiving one another. Uh, things that have been said in the last year or so, uh, positions taken, attitudes taking, uh, even even viewpoints that people have had that have not been expressed, but just bitterness of heart toward one another. We're just going to have to really work hard at loving each other and forgiving one another. Uh, but uh, as well, I think a big part of that is I think we are seeing all around us the erosion of social institutions, or at least our confidence in them. We don't have confidence in experts and all these things. And so I think then for Christians in their various vocations, they need to be equipped to build. And I think, I think that's probably the, the watch word for us. We want to be builders. Uh, when Paul actually addressed the, this crazy Corinthian church with all of its divisions in, in chapter three, he actually switched and started talking about building. And just like Rob said, getting back to what's the foundation, but then actually to see, see things being built. And so we want to continue to build relationships, encourage individual Christians in their various walks of life to be building families, to be building in the workplace, to be building maybe even maybe they're going to build and get engaged politically a little bit uh, in all these different ways that instead of instead of pulling back and saying, oh, well, everything's all awful and I'm upset with everyone, we need to then take the love of Christ and seek to share it, bear witness on mission, advance the gospel, and then seek to continue to build. And uh, we're even talking about you know, maybe doing a little bit of a building, uh, physical building add-on renovation. A building campaign coming up, COVID might be the dumbest pastoral a decision that could ever be made, but that's what we're going to attempt. And, and just to kind of actually move forward. And so I'm really, I'm really ex excited and encouraged for what the Lord's doing, even through all of this trial. I just think, wow, he's making us 
more anti-fragile. And, and that means he's preparing us to be used of him for the advance of the gospel in this needy land. So that's kind of my perspective on what's coming up. That's good. Brother Paul? Yeah, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the Church of Christ. So praise God for what he's doing in Calgary, uh, in BC, in Newfoundland. Um, I just uh, thank the Lord for all of that. I'd echo what all you guys have been saying. Um, I, I, have, I am not a prophet. I've given up prophesying anything in this COVID season. I have no idea what our church is going to look like. Uh, so I'm not even going to guess. I predicted um, this would be three weeks in length. So I'm with yeah, you. I think I was right there with you, Chief. Uh, so... <laughs> We, we have definitely confirmed a few things. Um, I, one thing I've been thinking about, and I'm not thinking about any partition, you know, particular person in my membership here, uh, but Paul, when he did write to the Corinthians about building, he also, in, in a chapter 11 there, he talks about, you know, there must be faction or divisions among you uh, so that those who are genuine might be seen. And so I just think broadly speaking in the churches that I anticipate that this sifting uh, will reveal uh, false professors um, and uh, maybe people that have uh, just been clinging on to the sidelines of church for whatever social credit they thought it brought them. And that's going to be purifying and good for the church. Uh, so I, those, those would just be a couple things I'd add. Well, for me, uh, because we're in the red zone and, and we have, you know, actually some, some pretty workable permissions, we're able to get a pretty accurate sense of how many of our people are, are wanting to be back because they are back. Uh, with three services across two campuses, we can get 85, 90% of our, our people back. So we're, we're seeing that. And then we know that there's this, this 10 or 15% that are still out there, but we're touching base with them and they're telling us, hey, when I get vaccinated or when everybody else is vaccinated, we'll be back. And so we have lost some people. We've had six or seven people um, leave the church and, and uh, interesting on both sides, meaning we, we had some folks leave because um, they felt it was too, it was dangerous or, or uh, too risky for us to open up. We had some folks leave because they were just mad that we were requiring masks and distancing and and observing the gray lockdown that we went through and all that kind of stuff. So we've had a bit on both sides. So there will be some some wounds to heal, but by and large, I would say our people have weathered really well. And and our our feeling is like when this is over, it's going to be like the doors on the ark opening. And there's going to be a devastated world outside. And we want to get everything we have inside that ark out, out into the field. And so actually it's birthed in us an aggressive spirit with respect to church planting. This past Sunday, we just voted to, to release. We were in a, in a plant process to release our plant and to send them out with a, a capital investment. And birthed in our heart as a leadership team is let's do that again, but on a tighter, a faster timeline than we had imagined. So let's do it again. Let's get, and let's get everything out in the field. Let's, let's empty the barn, let's empty the jars. And um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I think that's, that's the spirit God's birthed in us. See, what about you? You're our furthest east. Yeah, you know, God's been very, very kind and gracious to us. Um, we, our, our, our first little church plant actually grew all through this pandemic. We are planning to launch our second church plant um, in short order before, I'd say just before the fall. Um, we've just signed an agreement with a small little group up in Labrador that want to become a mile one mission church. And we're working with two other groups, uh, one about 50 miles outside the city and one within our city. So conceivably over the next 12 months, if God tarries, we may actually see five different church attempts besides our own little church. Awesome. Um, we want to build a church. Um, you know, our city is needy. 
our folks are there. We, we can only have 50. We were just allowed this. We just, we opened up registration yesterday and in 12 hours, everything was booked. I've got waiting lists for Easter Sunday and for Good Friday. Um, our people have been very gracious and patient. Um, so we're just very, very thankful. That doesn't mean people are not feeling everything that everybody else is. I think we're just trying to model that um, the joy of the Lord is our strength, not the joy of our circumstances is our strength. I, I will say this, on its worst day, I am so amazed that God chooses to use me for his glory. And on my best day, I pray that I will be humbled that God would use such a great sinner as I to give him glory. And all of that means we've got a great savior. And just let's just cling to that. Brothers, I want to uh, interrupt for a second and uh, splice in something from a conversation I had earlier this week. I had the great privilege of talking to a pastor friend of mine uh, who ministers in uh, an area called Empengeni in South Africa. It's uh, an area that, um, that is sort of a, a network hub for ministry into rural areas. And uh, South Africa, as many of us have heard, has been particularly hard hit by uh, COVID-19. And, uh, and so I was curious to get his perspective, and I thought it might just be an encouragement uh, to, to some of us. Sometimes we get uh, so out of sorts about our own context and our own problems, and just hearing from someone facing something similar, but in a very different context, maybe can give us a little bit of perspective on that. So uh, my pleasure now to welcome Pastor Shadrach Kumalo uh, to the conversation. Brother, thanks for being with us. And uh, I'd love to ask you a couple questions about your experience pastoring in a pandemic. Thank you very much. And thank you for the privilege of answering those questions. I'll answer them at my top level ability. Well, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit what the restrictions are like in South Africa on worship. Here in Canada, we've got provinces where churches really aren't able to meet inside at all. They've just been allowed to meet outside. We have provinces where uh, they've been only allowed to meet at 15% of building capacity. Here in Ontario, uh, we're now operating at 30% building capacity. Uh, what's the situation for you there in South Africa? At the moment, the country is on alert level one, uh, which many of the restrictions have been lifted. Uh, for the churches in particularly, uh, before we were at level three and we were only allowed uh, 50 people uh, uh, inside and nothing more, nothing less. That was it. But now we are allowed uh, to utilize uh, a meeting uh, place, 50% of the building capacity. So if your building is, is huge, you can take up to 100 people. That is a maximum. Whether your, your, your building capacity can take more than that, but the maximum is up to 100 people. So that's a situation at the moment, which is better than nothing. So because we are able to meet in small groups and uh, 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 help people to meet their need of fellowship at this point in time, right. indoors and outdoors. Uh, so it's much better than uh, the level three in level one. Now, as you've moved from level three to level one, have you found that that uh, congregants are eager to come back or are they uh, afraid of contracting the virus? What's been the situation there? 
Well, with for a variety of people, the youngsters are keen to come to, to, to church, uh, uh, those who are strong and healthy. Uh, their immune system is still good. They are really uh, uh, coming and uh, they're there. But the elderly folk, which is understandable with lots of comorbidity, comorbidities, uh, uh, they kind of like being skeptical to be at the public, but you have those who can assess uh, whatever is posted on the internet as like Bible teachings that we normally post on the internet. Right. They just have no how uh, of, of utilizing internet and all that. So they rather, even though they've got those comorbidities, be at church because they are really hungry. Their souls need to be fed. Uh, so we do have them. And then we have people who have developed what I term uh, a stay home uh, syndrome. They yeah. are young and they are healthy, yeah. but they decide still to stay at home and be happy to watch uh, 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 sermons uh, while they're on the bed or on, in bed or in their time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's the situation at the moment. And uh, you you mentioned uh, in a previous conversation that we had that there was a lot of vaccine skepticism, um, mm. a lot of um, sort of, inter you mentioned to me that the internet was creating mm. a lot of problems because people were finding, you know, strange teachings on the internet that, that were making them very um, suspicious of the vaccine. Is that still a factor? We, we really thank God for education uh, from people with insight uh, about vaccines uh, that has really brought in some light even to those who were first skeptical. We have seen a paradigm shift uh, in, in the way they reason around the vaccine and there is this now more welcoming of the vaccine, but then you still have those who are still buying into uh, uh, rumors that are there in the internet, rumors that are generated from uh, uh, heresies and uh, unfounded uh, information out there. So it's still working in people's mind, but at least people have a choice to choose uh, from the right and what I'll say rumors. So it, it depends how you screen the information so it's up to now the individual, how they listen and what kind of information uh, they want to use uh, uh, to base their decision on. We, we really praise God for some Christian scientists that have brought in biblical facts and also bring in scientific facts around the vaccine. So the, the, the skepticism and the criticism towards the vaccine is no longer as bad as initially, like the first time I spoke to you about yeah. Uh, the negativity towards the vaccine. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, now here in, here in Canada, there's been a lot of division between uh, churches, evangelical churches, over the issue of whether to defy public health uh, regulations. So as I mentioned here in Ontario, for example, we're supposed to um, only fill 30% of the building capacity during uh, during COVID to, to sort of minimize spread and supposed to wear masks and, and sit six feet apart. And so that makes a little extra work uh, for us, uh, that for, for most of us pastors. I know for myself this past Sunday, we hosted three services in two different locations because uh, we're only able to work with 30% capacity, but we were able to serve probably 85 to 90% of our people that way. Like you, we've got some folks um, with health concerns who are still holding back a little bit. 
But others uh, would say that's the wrong approach, that we should fill our buildings to 100% capacity, that, that we shouldn't be wearing masks and the whole bit. And so there's been quite a bit of conflict. Have, have you experienced something like that in South Africa, where churches are taking a different line on these health restrictions and, uh, and dividing and having conflict with one another? We, we do have those churches that are saying uh, there's a, a separation between state and church. So church make their own rules. So they, they can't really pay much attention uh, to the guidelines from the Department of Health and particularly government and all that. But then there's consequences on that because government can enforce the law. Uh, but we do have uh, that challenge. Unfortunately, it doesn't paint a very big a picture, a very positive picture from my perspective, uh, coming from the so-called uh, uh, the body of Christ, but these are the realities uh, on the surface. Uh, but there are those really churches and pastors that are really promoting compliance and submitting to uh, the, the government authorities. And uh, I believe they're making a huge impact in curbing the spread uh, of, 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 of the, this uh, pandemic. And right now we are facing the time of Easter and we are just waiting for our state president to address the nation probably on Wednesday. So there might be restrictions and I've heard again those negative talks from those people that they say uh, they can't be told by government what not, uh, they will continue to worship God and all that. They say this time they have Easter's, whether or not government is allowing the Easter's. So yeah, yeah. it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing the same thing here. Uh, and then some churches have been very unified. We're thanking God here just for how unified our people have been. But I've heard from some other pastors that their own churches are very divided over these issues. Have, have you experienced that in your church? Just the division definitely. over the protocols? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. People are listening to lots of things out there. And one of the challenging to be, uh, challenges to be a pastor under the pandemics is really you have no control uh, much uh, these days with the information they get from the yeah. internet and some of the false teachers and all that. Whereas when we are meeting and there's much of the teachings, I would say uh, uh, your understanding of scripture and the way you bring in uh, apostolic authority and all that, it makes a huge difference. These days, there's too many ne much, uh, in, uh, negative influence out there under the banner of the church anyway. Yeah. So you do have uh, such situations uh, here in South Africa as well. Well, listen, how can uh, how could we be praying for pastors in places like South Africa? Uh, we want to be praying for each other here in Canada, but we want to be praying for our brothers uh, who are serving uh, in other locations. So how could we be praying for you? We will really appreciate brothers to pray mostly for the pastors in rural areas. You know, when we say it's a lockdown in rural areas, people, they don't deposit money at the bank. It means for the pastor and his family, there's absolutely no support at all because the only support that goes to support the pastor is the Sunday takings. So if we can pray for those pastors uh, to really not to lose heart because of the crisis uh, and really look forward because with the vaccine, uh, 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 we, we can see the light at the end of the, the tunnel. 
just to understand that we are going through the storms and God is on the throne and it will soon be over. While the crisis of the church may not be over because from the inception of the church, there has been challenges, but at least something new, not what we are going through at the moment. That's great. Thank you, brother. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, we're, we're going to, to pray at the end of our, our podcast here. And uh, we'll take these now, uh, these things that you've brought to our attention, and we'll be sure to incorporate that in, into those times of prayers. Thanks so much for sharing your insight with us. Well, we've gone a little longer than, uh, than I'd hoped and than I promised. So, uh, Brother Paul, why don't you uh, close us in prayer? And uh, if I can get you to pray for our pastors, this has been mentioned. I think the next stage is going to be tricky, too. It's going to be difficult and trying. Pray for our churches um, that, that, that we'd weather this last little bump and turn. And then if you could pray also for our, our brother pastors serving in developing countries, because uh, it's, uh, as we've heard, it's, um, it's a far more arduous process than, than I think many of us are experiencing and, and lamenting even. So if you could do that, Paul, that'd be really appreciated. Our great God, we thank you so much for the ways in which you have led us and provided for us in these days. Uh, we're, we're often quick to complain and grumble and forget that you have taken us out of our difficulties. You've provided grace for us along the way. Just as you gave Israel manna day by day, you brought them water in the dry lands. You've done the same for us individually. You've done the same for our churches. And for this, we praise you. I pray for all the pastors who are feeling weighted down and discouraged. Oh Lord, um, each of us have walked in those valleys before, whether it's right now or not, we know what those days are like and we pray for grace upon grace to each one. Uh, I pray that each man who is preaching your word would be uh, faithful to get that word in his own heart day by day, not just for sermons and Bible lessons, but for his own survival, his own spiritual survival. I pray that you would uh, make prayer come easy in the lives of pastors. Uh, remove all the hindrances that would keep us from really praying and really seeking you. And then, Lord, be answering prayers. Uh, show us that you're a prayer-answering God. It seems like, at least in my own life, nothing fuels my desire to pray more than seeing answers to prayer. So give us eyes to look for it and to see it and to count it and to praise you for it. Lord, you are very capable of ending all these difficulties tomorrow. Uh, you, you have the ability to do that. You can do things that we can't ask or think. And so the problem is not with you, Lord. If there's uh, issues that are, that are really plaguing us, the problem resides somewhere in our hearts. So give us grace to look to the God with whom all things are possible, uh, the God who is able to rescue a nation out of 400 years of slavery and plant them in their own land, a God who is able to take a whole vast multitude of sinful people and heap all of the guilt of their sin on a savior. And that that savior would take all of the punishment that those sins deserve. And that you then father would raise him from the dead, putting your seal of approval on all that our savior has done. If you've done that, then your church is going to thrive and survive. So God, please give us great, overwhelming, deep confidence in you. Make us men, make us pastors who believe in you, who trust in you, and who live our lives like you're real, like your word is true, 
And like there's nothing better than serving the King of Kings. Amen. Thank you, Brother Paul. We lost a, a little line there in the middle of your prayer, but uh, I appreciate that so much. And uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us. Thank you, panel, for pressing through the awkwardness of uh, technology. We had some technical difficulties, as I'm sure you maybe noticed. Uh, but we just uh, appreciate this. And I know that we've got friends and colleagues across the country who appreciated this. And so uh, if we, if this endures, hopefully it won't, as we said, hopefully we're in the last leg of the journey now, but uh, if it endures and if there's warrant and appetite for it, we'll gather a little panel again and uh, do another one of these pastoring in a pandemic episodes. As long as this lasts, we'll be with you. We'll be for you. And like you, we're going to be longing for this to be over so that we can come together again and uh, return to the, to the sorts of ministry and the sorts of lives and experiences that we were used to. But as long as we're in it, uh, we'll be in it with you, and uh, we'll be praying for you. Until then, uh, take care, brothers, and God bless soon.